Hello, and welcome to the off-season edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I did not think I would be saying off-season so soon, but for the third consecutive year, the Penguins have been bounced in the first round uh, again by the New York Islanders in game six uh, on another disappointing season coming to an end with a 5-3 to three loss in Nassau Coliseum. I am your host, Tom Reed, uh, joined by Dave Molinari, who is in Long Island, and Taylor Haas, who's back in Pittsburgh. Uh, later, we will be joined by Penguins minor league coach J.D. Forrest. But gang, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, I don't think I we have to prod too deeply here to get to the main topics in this game, a game where the Penguins led three times but could not hold those could not hold the leads at any point, and uh, their season ends too soon. Dave, uh, what is your headline coming out of this game? Well, it, it has to be the uh, all of the goals they gave up. I think you can uh, pin some of them, certainly on Tristan Jari, who had yet another playoff performance to forget, and uh, you know Sidney Crosby, whose defensive work this year I think is going to get him some Selkie Trophy votes, uh, had an awful night defensively, and. Uh, readily acknowledged as much when, when speaking with reporters after the game. Uh, Taylor, uh, you've obviously followed this season every step of the way. Uh, your headline coming out of uh, the last game of the season. Yeah, I'm kind of doing a by-the-numbers breakdown, um, you know, just pulling some interesting advanced stats. But, I mean, I'm leading with, with Jari because, I mean, that he, he is uh, really the story here, the goaltending. Um, specifically the number that I'm looking at, um, I've explained this, you know, hockey advanced stats, they're so hard to explain because they all either have stupid names or, uh, they sound, just sound goofy, but goals, um, saved above expected, which basically to sum it all up takes, uh, you know, a, a goaltender's performance based on the quality and quantity of shots they face. So it does what save percentage goals against average can't. It, it takes into account, you know, the actual workload they're facing, the quality of shots uh, the other team is taking. And Jari had the worst um, result of any goaltender in the playoffs since 2014, which is um, pretty significant. Uh, basically, what the numbers say is that he allowed about eight more goals than he should have based on the quality of shots the Islanders are putting up on him. Dave, uh, coming into this series, I think when we thought about the injury storylines, I think obviously there was concern: would would Malkin be ready to go, and would he be able to? Would he be in this series at some point? Uh, there was obviously concern with, with with the durability of Brandon Tanev missing so long uh, late in the season. But did you ever imagine, as this season, as this series closed out, that one of the most significant moments was happening the day or two before? when Casey DeSmith got hurt and did not really leave them with an NHL backup? Uh, no, I, I don't think even uh, Casey DeSmith's uh, immediate family anticipated that he could uh, be mentioned so prominently during a playoff series. Uh, but 
you have to believe that given the way Tristan Jari struggled at times this season that if, or in, in this series that if uh, if DeSmith had been available, he would have gotten into the game. Uh, in, in fact, during game six, I was quite surprised that Mike Sullivan didn't make a goaltending switch, even though Max Legacy, you know, has extremely limited experience. It really looked as if he couldn't possibly do any worse than, than Jari was. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's just it started out badly. I, it wasn't necessarily a bad goal, the first goal of the game. To, again, Jeff Carter opens the scoring like, okay, this is what the Penguins need, a quick start. We talked about this at the end of the last podcast, getting a good jump after, you know, we didn't know how this team would respond after the gut punch they suffered in game five. They get the go-ahead goal. And then I believe it was Anthony Boltvillier comes down on a play where it's a nice shot, Taylor, but that's one of those ones where I think you hear coaches say, we need a save from our goaltender there. Yeah, I mean, some of those goals really aren't uh, – you you can't pin on Jari, but, I mean, some of them it, it definitely, you know, ones he'd want back. Um, I hate that expression. I'm sure goalie wants everyone back. But um, – and back to the number I was talking about, the goals saved above expected. The, the Islanders, based on, you know, the shots they're taking in this game, they were expected to score 1.58 goals, and, of course, they scored five. Um, so it, the, the Islanders really weren't testing Jari all that much throughout the game. Um, uh, at least not enough to justify five goals. Dave, I want to go back and ask you the same thing. That first, the first shot uh, produces a goal for for D. Smith's comp. Or I'm sorry, got him on our mind for Jari's confidence. If he makes that save for the team's collective confidence, if he makes that save again, nice shot. But if he makes that stop, don't you think everyone kind of breathes just a bit easier? Like, okay, he's back. Uh, I mean, obviously that's a hypothetical. We'll never know. It's uh, certainly reasonable to think that if he had come up with a, a good save, which would have been required on that shot, it was yes. a uh, a pretty nice backhander by Bavillier from from close range. Uh, but it it wasn't you know a, a shot that the, that the goaltender had absolutely no chance on. Um, yeah, perhaps uh, you know. Jari starts with a little more confidence then, and his teammates have a little more confidence in him, even though they will, you know, insist in keeping with hockey culture that, you know, they they did not uh, lose this game because of the goaltender or any other one uh, particular player. But so go, going back, I can pose a question. Going back any other game this series, what game would you have put to Smith in, if any? Because uh, I mean, what well, he was—he he, was—he was rough in that in that first game. But go ahead, Taylor. No, you're—that's a good question. I was I mean, just going to pose was, that one to you. Well, no, because I just had this question in live in, in the live my live cues before the game is that you know if DeSmith were healthy, would we have seen him so far? And I said no because what well, Jari looked pretty rough that first game, but I don't think they would have pulled Jari after just one game and turned into Smith. And then no. obviously his gaff in double overtime game five, but it seemed like they were pretty ha- Sullivan was pretty happy with his you know actual play and the saves he was making up until, you know, that turnover in, in double overtime. So I don't think even that would have, you know, led to, I don't think they would have started the Smith in game six, uh, you know, with the, in an elimin- in a elimination game, what we saw that in the bubble where um, 
uh, they were going with Murray, and then it was an elimination game, and they made a switch to to Jari, and it didn't, you know, that didn't work out. Um, I don't think they maybe would have done that again this time. But I mean, do you think we would have seen to Smith? But up until maybe uh, at some point in the middle of this game. Well, I, um, I think yeah, probably not. Um, you know, it, it, Jari's uh, glove side issues in the opener probably would have. Uh, could have justified a goaltending change, but, you know, I, I can see a coach being, you know, not inclined to make a switch like that so early in a series and possibly give his chosen starter, you know, some confidence issues and, you know, better to let him develop those of, on, on his own over the course of the series. I, I think what you might have seen uh, game, was it for the four one game? Maybe, and again, I don't think I don't think that, I don't want to pin that game on Jari, but maybe get get some give the Smith some some mop up work there. And to the, let's just be honest here, we saw it in the Florida series. Now I know the series is over, but I mean <laughs> they had no hesitation. Number one didn't work out. Number two's not working out. We're bringing up this uh, was it Spencer Knight? So that that's the other end of the spectrum where where and a veteran coach, uh, Stanley Cup winning coach says. Our next man up. Now, I agree with you guys. Uh, Dave, would you have, if DeSmith were healthy, after the way that the last game ended, would you have stayed with Jari? Uh, would you have started Jari today in, in game six? Yes, I, I would have. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I might have been paying uh, particular attention to the uh, the way he was playing and the goals he was giving up. And uh, with the idea that I might have had a uh, a quicker hook than usual if I felt that uh, he was uh, having a uh, post-blunder hangover in this game because you were facing elimination. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that starting Jari again in game six would have, would have been the logical thing to do. Taylor? Yeah, I – I, you know, when in my live cues, I, I said probably not um, just because as big of a mistake as that was for, you know, the, the result of the game. Um, Sullivan seemed to be happy with Jari's performance up until that point. So I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't think if DeSmith was healthy, they would have gone to him at least to start, but maybe uh, give Jari a short leash and put DeSmith in, you know, in this game, if, if he starts to look even like a little shaky. Um I don't. I mean, because I was. Th- I. I think a lot of us were looking for a legacy after you know at least a couple goals there. Um, after maybe the third one, uh, for legacy to come in, even though he's, uh, untested really pretty much uh, this season. He only played the one game against the Sabers, but after uh, you know maybe three goals in, I thought it was time to put him in. So uh, definitely, I thought we would have seen this at some point. Yeah. Um, after the game, for the fans who just turned the TV off and started slamming stuff and whatever. Uh, I believe it was Sidney Crosby, Jeff Carter, uh, the coach, and, and David mentioned this a few minutes earlier. Uh, obviously, everyone kept it about the team, kept it about the team. What do you guys, and again, David, you'll hit me with hypothetical here, but what do you think the level of frustration was in that locker room? Given, again, they were a little a little sloppier tonight. There was a breakaway or two, some odd man rushes. But I thought they competed really hard in this game. Uh, May wasn't their best game of this series. That's the last game was. 
But Dave, we had talked about after the last game, if would they be able to pick themselves up off the floor? And I thought they did. I, I really thought that they they played hard. There were some stretches after the game got really going that Sorokin really had to make some big saves, uh, especially toward the end of the second period when it looked like the Penguins were starting to come on. Uh, what do you think the, the level of frustration in that locker room is? I would think it should be exceptionally high because I, I still think they have superior personnel to the Islanders, uh, yeah. even though the result of the series does not reflect that. And, you know, the Penguins, even in the, in the third period, you could see that they played with a desperation that they had not shown to that oh. point of the series, which I guess is understandable since they were 20 minutes from elimination. <clears throat> But they, you know, they really did give it a a good push there in the uh, in the third period. You know, at, at least until John Marino got his late double minor that effectively, yeah. you know, took away any suspense about the outcome. Taylor, I want to phrase it, kind of ask you the same question, but phrase it a different way. In 2018, they got swept, and, and I just I thought the Islanders just that was a typical Islanders suffocating series where the Penguins could really not get anything going. There were stretches in this series where the Islanders played Islander hockey, but I thought the Penguins, for the most part, played, except for game four, they were, they were, they were, they were giving as good as they were getting. And, and to me, that would add to the frustration of like, this wasn't like the Islanders just checked us into submission in this series. We had our chances. We had leads. We're going to talk about the leads in the next segment. We had leads two going into the third period in two games and didn't win. Uh, can you just the, the frustration level? Yeah. I, Cause you, you, you can't say that they, you know, they, they just played poorly this series. I mean, uh, they controlled, I think the majority of the shot attempts in every game. I, I think it's for one of them. I, the overall number is at five on five, um, 59% of the shot attempts taken uh, in the series. Wow. The Penguins. So they were, they were, you know, controlling the play. Like that's significant. That's not, um, yes. close to the fifty percent, and uh, it's the 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 shoot the shooting percentage, the combined shooting percentage, kind of tells you the story. Um, the Islanders' combined shooting percentage of five on five, it was uh, just under eleven percent. The Penguins uh, was it was uh, almost half at five point seven seven percent. Um, and I I think a lot of that is goaltending. You know, they were up against a really hot goaltender, but um. You know, they were just getting those chances. They just weren't going in, which is, you know, that has to be frustrating. Yeah, give give full marks to Elias Sorokin. I mean, that was the uh, – I mean, again, the, the just he was good tonight. He wasn't, as, he wasn't great as he was the other night, but just the despair the, – the goaltending disparity in this series, it was it's just mind-boggling. We're going to get to some other players coming up here in our second segment, but, I mean, it, it just – I hate to say it, it really was goaltending that played a huge, huge role in this series. All right, we'll be back for our second segment on the 68 to 87 podcast. And later on, we will have JD Forrest. Stick with us. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Got that wrong at the end of the first segment. Apologies. I keep pushing for 66 to 11 for Freddie Gaudreau, but... Uh, I know. Well, <laughs> give it time. Give it time. <laughs> uh, uh, 
uh, little programming note, we, uh, the, the, our work here at the podcast uh, is not done just because the season is over. We will continue these uh, throughout the offseason. And I know Dave Molinari is going to be very happy that the, the roundtable will be back after uh, this show tonight in the second segment. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of time to talk about some of the issues. But uh, again, I, I just think with all that's, uh, that, 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 that happened in this series and again uh, last night in the final game, the, the, the topic is on everyone's mind, so let's get into it right now. Tristan Jari is under contract for two more years. He, he signed a new contract in the offseason. But it is hard to believe that the Penguins won't go into the offseason looking to maybe bring in a veteran goaltender to at, least, at, at, at the very least compete for the job. So what I'm asking you guys, I'll start with you, Taylor. What do you do? Do you try to keep Jari, uh, try to rebuild him? get him ready because he had a good regular season. And then that, where does that leave Casey to Smith or would the team try to move Jari and just move this to keep the Smith in the role he's at? You're the GM. What are you doing? I think it's tough. Cause I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what the goalie market is going to end up looking like and who's going to be out there. Cause I mean, um, I don't know, like if you're going to trade Jari to, to another team, like, are they going to want him as their starter? Um, you know, after maybe how shaky he looked in these playoffs, can you find a taker? Um, he makes enough, I think, like three point five million. That you know, that's it, if if some n- that's not that's not backup money. Um, right. Maybe it's like a tandem. Um, so it depends on what's out there. If there's a spot for him elsewhere, that they can move him because, I mean, if you're gonna get a, a you know a goalie via free agency, I mean that's gonna be expensive and that's money that they don't have. Um, and I'm not sure who's going to be, you know, available. The one name I see people uh, throwing out there, uh, Chris Dreger, um, on on Florida. Um, he's a pending free agent, uh, and I, unrestricted free agent. And I mean, they're, they're probably not going to bring him back because they got Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight. Um, he had a really good season, but um, I did throw out Jari and bring in someone like him. Uh, it, probably not. Um, it's it's tough. Uh, it depends what the market's going to be. Dave, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have uh, gotten too far ahead of my over the, my skis here. Do you think they will they would they would bring in a veteran next season or, or a, another goaltender to compete for the job? Is that is that fair to say that you would think that's would be their first plan of action? Well, I, I think it's certainly something they'll consider. Um, I don't know that they'll make a decision based solely on Jari's play in this series. Um, you know, I, I, these obviously are the most important games of the year, but I think they would want to, you know, look at the, uh, the body of his work from the entire season, as opposed to just this, uh, half dozen games, uh, before making a decision on him, you know, and fortunately you have, uh, another ex goaltender who is the GM and, uh, you would think is able to, uh, accurately assess what he sees from a guy playing at that position. So, you know, it, it would not surprise me either way if, you know, if they decided that Jari, you know, that this, uh, this series was just a hiccup that he could uh, overcome or uh, if they would decide that it's, it's worth at least exploring to see what kind of a replacement could be out there. Yeah. Now, now, in fairness, living here in the Columbus market and having covered the Blue Jackets, 
uh, Sergei Bobrovsky uh, really had struggles early in his career. And by the way, he had struggles this year too. But the point being, they kept with him. They kept with him. He, you know, this is a guy that was winning, uh, was winning Vezina trophies, but just could not get it together in the playoffs. Had two really bad playoffs. But then they hung, they hung with him, and he ended up, you know, last year, a couple of years ago, engineering the big upset against Tampa Bay. So it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility, as we said. That again, Jari had a good regular season. A year before that, he was an All Star. So maybe cool not heads quite would... Vesna Bobrovsky level regular season. To maybe no, 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 no. But but, yeah. but he, but he's been a he's been a decent goaltender to this point. I did not see this coming. I did not see. I I just he just was never able to re even in the games to me you know he had a bad first game even in the games that they won I didn't think he just never looked completely comfortable like the guy well, that we saw in the regular season. Tom, you and I talked about it earlier off the air. Um, the you know it's like the game five double overtime gap where he plays the puck when he really shouldn't have. That is something that maybe we saw a little bit of from him um, yes. throughout the season at times. There's that one time. Uh, what he did it, it looked like he was trying to score um uh in the empty netter uh and then it, it didn't go well and you know um it backfired um and they're just you know not quite that uh significant of an impact but just a couple moments like that where you would see him play the puck more, like make bad decisions playing the puck which and i don't know what you do with that because his ability to play the puck is one of his you know big strengths and that's something that you know sullivan talks about know how that that can benefit um that benefits them you know during the season um and you know it did pay off you know he, he did you know set up a couple goals that way during the regular season too so it, it, it it's not always you know bad but um you know something like that is something that isn't completely new even um this team uh twice went into the third periods holding leads lost the games uh last night had three one goal leads and lost the game. And I thought the best best question in the press conference was from our Dave Molinari. And I thought you got a pretty good answer uh, from Jeff Carter, who I think was biting down really hard uh, to just try to be very diplomatic with his answer. Uh, Dave, in your eyes, was this goaltending or was there something else uh, that led to all these blown leads in the series? Well, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it all on goaltending. Yeah. Um, you know, in this this game uh, six, you know, there were some shabby defensive plays. Uh, you know, that that led to goals uh, for the for the Islanders. Arguably, on some on shots that uh, that Jari could have and should have stopped, but. You know they were they were quality chances and the kind that you don't necessarily uh, expect to be giving up shortly after you get a lead, let alone you know do it two or three times. So, you know, I in in this case I'll go along with the uh, the hockey culture and say yes, this was a team thing. Yeah, uh, Taylor, we saw earlier in the series. I thought there were a couple of games, at least one of those games. Where the Islanders, actually twice, I think both of the blown leads, you could see the Islanders coming on in the third period. You could just see them starting to to, to pick up their game. So that would be something more than goaltending. In your eyes, was it was it if it if it's more than goaltending, where where did some problems lie there? 
Well, I mean, like what you talk about, um, you know, the Islanders, you know, maybe not having the best starts when they're coming on. I mean, that was the story of what game five. Uh, they were outshot, I think, like twenty to four in the second period. Right. They had fourteen um, shots. They had fourteen shots before they tied the game two two. Yeah, like it was something crazy like that. And I remember I was on like the Islanders call after that, and you know, Trotz and they were talking how Sorokin kept them in it, um, and that the, until they came around and you know they, uh, you know, were playing well in the third. Um, I, we we talk about you know how the stars maybe weren't producing the way they should, but um, the 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 numbers of like the shots and like the attempts, like they were getting their chances. Um, so it's not like they just completely, you know, like dropped off. Like I think like Jake Gensel led the Penguins in shots in this series. He had 25, um, and he didn't get a goal until that final game. And it's not like they were bad shots either. Cause he also led in, in high danger attempts with 11. Um, so I would, you know, something like that, whether, you know, he can, the, he's getting his shots off and he's getting good shots off, but it's just not going in that I, you just have to look at Sorokin and, and think that he's, you know, um, a huge part of that. I think, uh, another thing interesting from the, post game after game six uh Sullivan he did say that you know like we didn't lose uh because we weren't big enough which is I know something you hear fans say all the time that especially with like the Islanders and their physical play that um they thought uh you know that would be a big problem for the Penguins Sullivan said you know that wasn't that which wasn't the reason which um I think is something interesting because now we're going into the offseason if you had and you got guys like Burke with uh truculence um, but, you know, Sullivan said he doesn't think uh, that was uh, the reason. And we'll talk about Mike Sullivan in a minute. To his defense, in this series, I didn't think that was necessarily – I thought it would be a bigger issue than it was. And I thought, like as I said earlier in the first segment, I thought they gave as good as they got. Um, uh, this series – and, Dave, you, you alluded to this early, and Sidney Crosby called himself out on this game – this was a struggle. This series was a struggle for Sidney Crosby. Uh, one goal, one assist. A guy who's been so good on the, on the dots for a long time. Had a rough series uh, in the face-off circle. And then last night, uh, just some mistakes, the kind, some the kind of mistakes you don't normally see from Sidney Crosby on the defensive side of the puck. Dave, can you your thoughts on his, his performance and and what might have led to him being really under the bar in this series? Well, I mean, start by giving the Islanders credit. They, they defended the, the Crosby line well. Um, but no, I mean, it, this was certainly a, a subpar performance by, by all three of them, especially Crosby, because the bar for him is set so high. Um, I was really surprised by his defensive struggles in, in game six. Um, his face-off issues, I believe, stretch back a little bit into the regular season. And I really wonder if there's some sort of physical issue, some sort of injury right. that was affecting his performance on face-offs because he was very good on them for, for most of the season. And all of a sudden, he started losing more. Um, you know, then he won, and I don't think it's because he forgot how to win them. Yeah, uh, hey, Taylor, I'll, I'll lead he, you in with this. He did. He said well, he was fine, right? He, yeah, he, I was he, gonna answer that. So he he had his his hand taped up um, in this game. I think it was his yeah. left hand. Um, he was asked afterward if he was dealing with any injuries. Um, he said he said no. But I mean, uh, I mean, Dave talks about the the faceoffs. Um, 
of the Penguins' regular centers in this series. He had the worst faceoff percentage, 42.19%. Um, Carter was the only one that ha had above 50%. He had 57.28, so significantly above um, yeah. 50%. But, I mean, the faceoffs overall, I mean, the Islanders were, were very strong in this series. Yeah, I think it's, it's Crosby ended up with a goal and an assist in this series. I think it was his third worst playoff series uh, of his career as far as points. Uh, I do wonder going forward, and let's, let, listen, the guy's about to be 34 years old. He has three cups. Uh, you know, father time is undefeated except for maybe against Tom Brady, and Tom Brady doesn't have to run up and down the sheet of ice uh, 27, 30 shifts a game. So, We'll see what this means going forward. Again, he had a terrific season. Dave, you mentioned he's. I think he's going to get some Selkie votes uh, for the year that he had. Uh, but I think he would be the first to admit this was this was not a good series for him. Um, another guy who's going to, I think, get some strong consideration for postseason awards is Mike Sullivan, uh, dealing with all the injuries uh, that the Penguins had to, to deal with this year. They win a division. At the same time, this is three years in a row that they have been knocked out in the first round. Uh, start with you, Taylor. It, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any thoughts at all? Is his job, would you consider his job safe for next going into next year? I mean, you and I talked about this off the air too. It kind of depends on what the who's going to be out there. Um, there are a couple of names out there that, you know, would be, um, you know, good for a, a head coaching job. I think, you know, part of it also is, that, you know, this is going to be the first off season with Hextall. And if, you know, he wants to change, yeah. you know, the identity, um, you know, the head coach might be a place to start. Um, and, you know, another first round exit would only help that um, case. If that's what, if it's that, but if that's what they want to do, I wouldn't, um, you know, say he's safe, but I also don't think it's, uh, I, I don't know what the odds would be. It's, it's really tricky. Dave, I, I, I do think what Taylor just mentioned at the end there complicates the answer maybe just a little bit. A change in management, uh, change maybe what we'll see in the offseason about what their philosophies of how they want to build the team going forward. Uh, on the, on the What do you think? Do you, do you think Mike's job is safe for next season? I don't, I don't think you can say that with absolute certainty at this point. I think it has to... Uh... You know, but it's going to be determined by whether they decide that it's time for uh, to begin the rebuild. And yeah. if so, whether he is the best guy to oversee that, you know, if they would decide to just plow ahead with the, you know, the, the same core, um, you know, the same. The same everything, basically, that they, they've had for the past few years. Then, yeah, I mean, he obviously got a lot of uh, – he got more mileage out of this group during the regular season than I thought he would be able to. Uh, there's there's no indication yet that the uh, players have started to tune him out, which usually happens, you know, when, when a coach is around the team uh, for several years uh, fewer than, than Mike Sullivan has been. But if they decide that it's time to – start uh you know overhauling the operation and bringing in some some new young players uh perhaps they'll uh want somebody else uh who they they deem to be better suited to that kind of uh duty yeah an interesting question again it's a guy that's won two cups he's done a lot of good things here but 
But as we know in this sport, it's kind of a what have you done for me lately. So he'll, his, he will be measured just as long as, as well as the players. Real quickly here to end this segment, uh, Taylor, players that you th- – that we, we obviously mentioned the goaltending. Sid didn't have his best series. Who else disappointed and who else you thought played really well? Maybe you played above the bar in this series. I mean, Jeff Carter has to be your your number one star um, throughout the series, and really since they tra- they they acquired him, just I mean, he, he's he did better in these playoffs than he did, you know, for the Flyers ten years ago. Like if Jeff Carter was like playing this well uh, ten years ago, maybe the Flyers would have a cup. But uh, I mean, he has to be up there. The, the third line in general, really. It's I mean, we've talked about all these things before. The you know McCann Gaudreau that that just all that little, that line together. Um, the third defense pairing, if I had to pick another uh, group, a player or unit that wasn't really playing that well, um, it seemed like they really lost out on a lot of the physical battles, the battles along the boards. Um, but it's, I mean, it's hard to really pick out any uh, guy or, or unit that was really that that bad. Latang had a, had a good series. Um, he had his yep. moments that you know weren't weren't great. Um, but uh, I mean, the team played really well. I think that's why Crosby, you know, kept saying, you know, this this one stings, and it's because you know they played as well as they did and still lost. Dave, uh, anyone else disappoint you? And you cannot use Jack Johnson or Justin Schultz. You can't use those players anymore. Who else? Who? Anyone else below the bar in your estimation? Um, I I really I thought I I probably expected more from Brian Dumoulin. Um, you know. Uh, there were times when he played very well, I thought, but other times when he he didn't perform uh, the way I did. I mean, I couldn't agree more about Jeff Carter. I think yeah. he, he was just, I'll say he was he was so much more of a factor than than I expected him to be when they acquired him. Um, and you know, if he can give them a, a full season like that next year, that that will be a a huge plus for them uh, and something that. I, I don't think they uh, necessarily could have counted on when, when they made that trade. I mean, right. you look at like, you know, Jeff Carter, the takes after that trade and it's like, Oh, Patrick Marler 2.0. And I remember, um, you know, cause there was talk about, you know, like, Oh, will he retire? And the fans were like, cause then it came out, you know, uh, the cap recapture if he retires, you know, like the Penguins would get like a very, very small cap benefit if he retires. And the fans are like, yes, like, um, we need him to retire. So like we get that. And it's like, that you look at what he did since then. It's like, he, he ended up being, being, you know, uh, you know, like, like their best player in the playoffs and really down the stretch too. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see a full year from next season. Yeah, really, really good season. All right, when we come back on the 66 to 87 podcast, Taylor, you got me worried now if I'm saying that right. Uh, just we will just join- switch it up every time, 77 to 77, coffee to Carter. <laughs> we, we, will be, we will be joined by uh, J.D. Forrest, and he, he, uh, this was an interview obviously recorded ahead of time, just uh, know that going in. Uh, but he's got some really interesting things and to talk about the future, maybe some possible future penguins. Stick with us on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, uh, finishing it, just finished up his first year uh, as head coach of the Baby Pens, J.D. Forrest. J.D., thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, always fun to be on the show here. 
Well, yeah, I think, you know, Taylor, I think JD may be our first second time visitor. So there should be some kind of prize or something for that. <laughs> Shouldn't there be some kind of monetary uh, yeah, contribution or something? What okay. an honor to be a first repeat guest. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, JD, l l let me ask you, since, the, since your guys, is, since the season ended, HL season ended, uh, you've been uh, back with the Penguins. Kind of what have you been your responsibilities uh, in working with the group? Well, there's, you know, everybody kind of knows about the Black Aces. Uh, well, I, I guess that's an assumption, but uh, typically for the playoffs, um, you know, the Penguins, Pittsburgh brings in some of the guys that spent most of the year in Wilkes-Barre or parts of it, and um, they, they put them, uh, they bring them into town and they're part of what they call the black cases, which is just kind of uh, an extra group. Um, it would be essentially the taxi squad from the season plus some of our guys. And, um, you know, our job is to just keep those guys in shape and ready to go just in case you know, something happens, an injury, uh, a couple injuries, uh, you never know. Um, so, yeah, we're just, we're in town. Uh, Kevin Porter is here as well helping. And uh, we work with uh, Ty Hennis, the skills and development coach uh, for the Pens. And we put those guys through the paces on a you know, kind of a day-to-day -day basis here. You mentioned uh, Ty Hennis. I know, I think you played with him all four years in college. I think you were, you know, alternate captains together towards the end. Just what's it like being reunited with him now in this capacity? And is a role like that something, you know, in skills development, something you could have seen him doing back then? Yeah, it's great uh, being around Ty. I've known him for a long time. We're very close friends. Um, he's a great person. He is uh, the best at his job that I have ever seen. Um, if you would have asked me that, you know, during college, he was he was such a hardworking guy. Um, I wouldn't have considered him a, a skilled player, but he just worked so hard, and um, he's he's kind of delved deep into it. Uh, after he was done with school and skill acquisition and the science of it. And you know, not many people know he's also a doctor. Um, uh, he's a very intelligent man. And uh, from that perspective, it's not surprising to see him just kind of pick something and become an expert at it. Um, so uh, it's always fun to be in Pittsburgh when he's around. Uh, or Well, he lives here, so he's around all the time. But it's always <laughs> fun to be around him when I'm in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and yeah, he, he's... Um, He's a valuable resource for us as a staff and and just for the Penguins in general. So uh, great to be working with them for sure. Yeah, and then uh, Kevin Porter, you mentioned him too. It's his first year as an assistant coach. Obviously, the you know, just what were your impressions of him throughout the year? Obviously, the PK was a real strength uh, for you throughout the season, and, and you know, he ran that. Yeah, he was great. I, I think I touched on it multiple times in you know, post game interviews or or just in general. Um, I thought he had a, a really good. Uh, Really good rapport with the players and uh, you know, just coming off of, of playing. Uh, it's funny because the last time we were here for, for a run in the playoffs, a deep one, uh, he was a black ace, uh, which would have been my, my first year. And now he's you know on the other side of it, kind of helping helping run the skate. So he knows what it's like to be one of those guys and, and what it's, uh, you know, what they're going through um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's, it's great to have him with that fresh perspective. And uh, he's got a, it's a good compliment to my personality. Um, so it, it was uh, as far as first season goes and, and our uh, relationship uh, kind of building throughout the season. I thought that was uh, a, a success for sure.
And then going back to the AHL season, I mean, so many other teams in the league had COVID issues throughout the season, postponing games. And I mean, other than I think the start of training camp for you, you, you just didn't. Just how much of that is a testament to the players and how they handled all the challenges of, of this season? Yeah, we we told them multiple times how much we appreciate them uh, taking this thing seriously and uh, doing everything they can to just limit the risks. Um, I know some teams had issues, but I mean, who's to say they didn't do the right things and just got unlucky? I, some of it is just it's uh, it's tough to beat a virus, and um, especially when you don't know everything about it. But I thought our guys, our team, did a fabulous job of just doing the the day to, the responsibility of the day to day lives and and how you had to change to kind of navigate the situation we were in. And um, Jameis McKelvey, who's our medical trainer. You know, he did a fantastic job of making sure they knew um, what they could and couldn't do or what they should and shouldn't do, I should say, because a lot of it was just suggestions and based on, you know, what what the science was and what Seamus was uh, gathering as information. And then I, I just feel that the guys took those suggestions to heart and knew the value of every game and how quickly, like you said, we had a little a little scare at the beginning of the year that didn't really disrupt us, disrupt the training camp a little. But once you have that, it's kind of like, oh, man, this thing can really go sideways fast if we're not careful. Um, and given the fact that we hadn't played in so long and everyone was uh, excited to just get going and, and stay going, um, you know, they knew the value of it and did a great job handling their, just handling their day-to-day -day and, and staying safe. And then, um, I mean, just your first year as a head coach at this level, just what was that kind of like as a learning experience, but then just like all this extra stuff on top of it and just such a weird, weird season to, to start uh, your, your head coaching career at this level? Yeah, it, that's it. I haven't had anything in my past that has prepared me for something like this. So I <laughs> I leaned on what I would call the experts. Like I said, uh, Seamus McKelvey, uh, Mike Joyce, the, the, our athletic trainer, medical staff, as far as you know how to approach her things and what we could do and couldn't do and, and uh, um, it just shows you the value of having good people around you um, which I knew but this goes even more to to another dimension because you're not doing a whole lot and you're, you're looking forward every day at the rink and when you have a, a, a good a good staff around a good environment around you that just makes it that much more fun uh, to be there so um, I feel like that was a Kind of like, uh, you know, everybody's escape from, from this was going to the rink. And uh, our job was to uh, continue to make that the best part of the day. And, and our, our team did that and, and staff did that as well. So uh, that, was a, that was a nice thing to be a part of. Looking back, what do you think you'll remember about the identity of, uh, you know, that team and those players? Oh, just, just the straight up work ethic. I mean, I... I Whatever the scenario was, I don't know if there was a time when we really let our foot off the gas, whether we won or lost or practiced after we, you know, whatever the case was, we really had a team that just wanted to dig in. Um, and it was, uh, that was really great because uh, it made every moment count. Um, it made every practice, every repetition that we had, uh, which we said, you know, we you're not getting as many reps this year, so make it count double if you can. And uh, they certainly did. So that's something I'll, I'll be grateful for. Uh, looking back on my first season, um, the guys that led that, you know, some of our veteran guys, 
and then even some of the younger guys that just uh, that just have that within themselves to just push, push, and push. And then uh, touching on a couple of players, um, I mean, Jordy Bellarif to start. Just how do you assess his season and the steps he took this year? Obviously, he came up you know big in a, in a couple of clutch moments uh, for you during the year. Yeah, and Clark gave him the the big goal belly tag, which is nice. You know, Archie's got his he's got a he's got some good ones there. But um, he was he used his off season, the extended off season, um, used it wisely. He he got another step, uh, was a little bit quicker as he came into camp this season, and uh, hey, he plays with a chip on the shoulder. He plays with an edge. Um, he's Got a fantastic shot. Uh, I think another, you know, just having that year under his belt and then an off season to um, really work on some things that he wanted to to improve on, which, like I said, came in and it was obvious what he did. And, um, you know, the way that that uh, that he competes and plays with that chip on shoulder and giving him a little little more speed and some uh, separation to be able to use his shot. really, I think, catapulted his game a lot this year, um, put in a lot of different situations. And uh, I, I, it was a it was a good uh, a good jump for him as a professional hockey player this season. And then uh, Drew O'Connor in his in his rookie year, I mean, he went down there after you know he started up here, had a big role. Just what were your impressions of, of him? I believe he finished just shy of a point per game. Uh, just what do you think of him as, in his rookie year? Yeah, what you know, kind of a crazy one for him being in pit and it, this whole season and not playing after because the college season ended, you know, before before we did and not um, not playing for a really long time and then just getting right back into it. Uh, I we really liked what we saw from Drew. He's he's got an ability to um, disrupt plays on a consistent basis and then he showed some some finish at certain times this year. Um, I think those numbers probably could have been better. Um, I mean, as impressive as they were are for someone in the first league of pro, I, I think he's got even uh, he's got more in him. Um, it wasn't for a lack of effort by any means, but just a little bit more of um, some understanding of the pro game. And uh, um, we really like what he showed last season, and then we're excited about um, what we think he can do with just a little more a little more time under his belt, um, you know, playing at this level. So. Um, a really good start to, uh, to Drew's professional career. And then uh, just touching on a couple of defensemen, I'm P.O. Joseph to start after he got sent down. Just what kind of steps did you see him take this year that could maybe set him up for, for maybe more NHL time next season? Yeah, his game is just, it keeps evolving. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's getting smarter. He's already a smart hockey player, but he's understanding even more um, uh of what works for him consistently and where he's going to utilize where he's going to use his speed and energy um, to make the most out of it. Um, his decision-making uh, is improved. It's, it's more consistent. Um, he, uh, he's got a little uh, tenacity to his game that I thought he brought uh, also on a more consistent basis. And when he plays like that, he's really tough. He, he can defend really hard. He's not uh, the the strong, the thickest guy. I would say the heaviest guy, but he he's wiry, and uh, sometimes he'll he'll uh, he'll get two or three whacks before the big guy gets one. So um, that part of his game uh, continues to improve and just kind of becomes. Uh, I don't know. You almost expect it more 
now from him, which is a good thing, uh, that extra bite. And uh, just his confidence with the puck, too. I mean, a lot of power play reps, a lot of time um, with that puck on a stick this year. You know, we use him in every situation possible. So um, you just gain that experience, you gain that confidence, and, and you take another step. And then I remember in a training camp, you talking about how a big thing with Cam Lee uh, in his first pro year uh, as an offensive defenseman would just be learning how to balance that risk reward. Um, how do you think he grew uh, in that area this year, his first year? Oh, he definitely improved in it. I mean, it's it's funny because he he's got the ability to to make plays, uh, you know, all over the ice. But like you touched on, sometimes sometimes just because you can do it doesn't mean it's going to be the high percentage one you should do. Because yeah, you can do it once out of eight times, but seven other times, you know, it might not be pretty in certain situations. So he he really his ability to escape a four checker and open up some ice for himself is um it's high level and when he does that and then is able to move the puck advance it to our forwards and then hit holes that's when he was really effective and he had um, long stretches this year where he was consistently doing that now it's you know for him it's got to be an every night habit and he's he's starting you could see that as the season went on that there was just more it was more consistent. It became more just part of his game. It didn't have to think about it so much. Um, and when it becomes when it becomes a habit and not a thought in your head, then you play a little bit more freely, and um, you know you, your skill comes out even more so. So I I really like the steps he's making uh, as a pro. He he's a real competitive kid too. I think an underrated part of his game was how hard he defended down low. Um, you know, even on a couple of fights at the end of the year there. Um, but you, it just speaks to his tenacity more than anything else. And uh, I think um, that his down low coverage took a, took a big step in understanding the, uh, the D zone situations. Um, so, yeah, another player who I, I, I feel made some really good steps this season. And then uh, Josh Maniscalco, I know I asked you about him a couple times during the year, but uh, another defenseman coming out of out of college. If you could just talk about what this year was like for him, kind of unique circumstances with how he was uh, how was he able to take steps even though he wasn't playing much this year? Yeah, he he had a couple games early and, you know, we just thought he needed to focus on some of these, uh, the, the way that we wanted him to play. We needed him to do that in practice and get consistent with it in practice for him to be able to translate a, that into a game uh, shift to shift. And... I thought he did a great job. He handled it really well. Nobody wants to sit back and watch the team play games. It's not, you know, that's not the situation anyone wants to be in. Everyone's a competitor. You want to be on the ice and uh, seeing what you can do uh, um, against the opposition. But he was real uh, receptive to the way we wanted to handle it. Um, he certainly made the most of his practice. Like I said, the, the repetitions, they, they kind of double this year, and he certainly made the most of those. So when he did get interjected in the lineup, um, he was able to carry over uh, a lot of the a lot of those practice scenarios and the situations we put him in into the game and, uh, you know, was much better suited to, to play at that point. Um, I, I mean, I, by no means do I think that was easy for him but it just speaks to the kind of guy he is. He's a really nice kid. Uh, and uh, he was able to make the most of it. And 
I think that really helped him improve and understand um, sort of what it takes to be to be a professional, the importance of those uh, practice days as well as the game days. Yeah, and then uh, during during the year, you spoke about the importance of, uh, you know, wanting to leave on a high note because it is the last time, you know, everyone's probably might be together until camp. Uh, even though that last game wasn't a win, do you think you, uh, just that effort and the way you finished the season, you, you accomplished that? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we fought uh, tooth and nail to the end. Um, sometimes it had to be literally, but... You know, we we don't we don't want that to be the situation. We just want our guys to play hard and battle and compete, and, and let their skill and abilities come out within those kind of um, within that structure. And uh, if you look at our last, you know, we we started our last nine games. We were uh, six two and one, I believe. And the last one in uh, in Hershey was a. I mean, it was a it was a battle. That's what happens when you play your rivals. Um, but uh, our guys never backed down, um, and it continued that work ethic that I spoke about uh, from the first question here to, to the very end. It just never stopped till till the buzzer. So, um, you know, we're we're proud of what our players did this season. Tom, anything from you? He's mute. Uh. <laughs> uh, okay, I know Tom had a few questions. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's, he's muted. Right? Yeah, Taylor's, got, Taylor has me so used to muting myself because, uh, <laughs> all the time. I have so many animals in this house, you never know when someone's going to bark. But anyway, <laughs> JD, how happy were, are you to see a guy like Freddie Goudreau, who's bounced around, uh, obviously had played in the NHL and played in the Stanley Cup final, but, but, to, 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 but to come down there, work with you guys for a couple of games, get his chance, and really make the most of it? That, it, it couldn't make me happier. I mean, we had a few of those situations this year where guys getting their uh, first opportunities or uh, repeat opportunities. I haven't had them in a while. Um, you know, you got Z getting his first goal and uh, Zahorna, and, and you have Freddie going up there. And Freddie's energy is is, uh, is contagious. He, he's, a, he's got a smile on his face. He works really hard. He's a tremendous hockey player. And you know, I I thought I I thought given if he was given a certain situation that he could really contribute to uh, to the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, um, on a regular basis. I don't know if I thought he would be become this integral part of the lineup, which he just kind of made himself at this time. Um, but yeah, that was that was fantastic. And you know, a guy like Max uh, Legacy, who I think is a a really really good goalie. Um, who played well for us when he was in Wilkes, and also another uh, person with um, with an incredible attitude and and energy about him that uh, is able to go in that last game and, and and shut out Buffalo. Like he hasn't played in the NHL in a while. I mean, you got to be really happy for players like that. And and even you know you got PO getting his first game. There was a lot of really nice milestones, and then some good stories as far as um, those those players that were were. Uh, uh, had a huge gap in between their NHL games and then made the most of it. So, yeah, really good stuff to see. Well, good stuff from you, J.D. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us again. And that is it for uh, this edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, for Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari, and our guest this week, J.D. Forrest, this is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next time.